Well, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. If you'll please stand up with us and sing along.
and Merry Christmas Eve. Thank you for uh, worshiping with us today. Before you take a moment and shake hands, if you are in the first through fifth grade, while we start shaking hands, I need you quickly but without running to come meet me over here by the tree because we have a lot of bows we got to put on this tree really, really quick. So take a moment, yeah, take a moment, welcome those around you, and first through fifth graders, come see me. All right, you may return to your seats and you may be seated. Before I give you an update on our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, let me just welcome you to Northside. We're thankful that you uh, are here to worship with us. If this is your first time with us or maybe first time in a long time, we would appreciate if you would let us know that. You can do that a couple ways. There's a QR code uh, in the bulletin that you can scan or we have a connection card um, out in uh, the foyer. I do want to just extend from one of the members of our church, in fact, our only charter member, Miss Margaret Shaddix, a very special thank you. Uh, Miss Margaret, last Sunday was in the hospital. She's been in the hospital at least half of the week, um, and she's home and feeling much better, but she is very thankful for your prayers um, and your love, and so she just wanted me to pass along uh, that message on her behalf. Well, if you've been at Northside for a while, you know that you all do the bows, and you do the bows for every so much, so many dollars that you raise, and our goal was eight thousand. Um, so we, if you look at the bulletin, you see that we have raised a little bit more than eight thousand, and so now all the bows are on the tree. So, praise the Lord. I had a chance to email with Richard, who was our IMB missionary, who came and spoke last week, and he'd emailed me early, like maybe on Monday, and said, "Hey, thanks for letting me come. I pray that Northside can reach their goal." and so I texted him back the next day, or emailed him back the next day and said, hey, man, our goal's already been met. So his coming to speak um, made a difference. So thank you for your generosity. But listen, every dollar matters. So if you have not given yet, we've already met our goal. Praise the Lord for that. But we can go above that. That's just the goal. We just want to meet that. So if you've not given yet, please still give. There's special envelopes in the pew. They're either going to say Lottie Moon or IMB. Please use that envelope, and you can put that in the offering plate. We do have another video uh, that we want to show you. This is um, an IMB missionary, a couple, receiving a letter from a, a, a girl that they had impacted. She has grown up and she's writing this letter just to express her gratitude for the work that they did and for how it changed her life. So check out this video. I decided to write a letter to a missionary couple from IMB who baptized me 
mentor me and disciple me during my life. And this is my way to say thank you to them. Dear Henry and Tasha, it's been a long time. I know we don't talk that frequently or had the chance to meet in person recently, even living in the same country, but I thought this could be a good opportunity to remind you how much I love you. Your friendship and companionship changed my life. From having conversations with a 16-year-old girl who dressed all in black about life and being a teenager to teach me the Bible at your house in Renee Street, to the summer camps, to pray for me countless times, and many, many more memories. Well, most importantly, there was no relationship with the Lord. However, in your family, I felt true Christian love. The care and the kind words you both always had for me is something I always be grateful for. Also, I finally found a great example on how to form a family centered in Jesus, the way you raised your kids, the hospitality you always had with your neighbors and the love you had for each other made me realize that another life was possible. You supported my dream of living in the United States and most of all, you both taught me how to trust and surrender my life to Jesus. And even in the lowest times, I proudly say I live a joyful life and the Lord is my shepherd. With him I lack nothing. I pray that many more lives could be touched by your love and care for the people. No matter the distance, you will always find a friend and a sister in Christ in me. Los quiero mucho, fío. We needed to hear that. <laughs> yes, we did. That's because y'all were there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does that mean? You can't do it by remote control. <laughs> you can't mail it in. You can't show up on a Thursday and leave on a Sunday. You have to stay there. Yeah. I, I think what was one of the most important things is that they were there. They were in your way. They were present there. In Spanish we say, estaban con nosotros, vivían con nosotros. And that changed me, that affected my life um, personally. Fathers, we gather this morning. You are right here in our midst. Your spirit lives within us. Your spirit is with us, filling this place. Father, at Christmas we celebrate this truth that you came to us. That you are Emmanuel, God with us. That you are present with us, Jesus. And that video is a reminder to us that, God, you desire to be present with others. You desire that others come to know the saving name and work of Jesus Christ. Father, to be able to share the gospel means sometimes we've got to do more than just showing up. Sometimes we can just speak it to a random stranger and they may profess faith in Christ. But other times, God, it requires us showing up. It requires us staying there. It requires us to be present, to be among them, to live among them, shining the light of Jesus Christ into their life. Thankful for our IMB missionaries like Richard, like Johnny and Donna Most, like this missionary couple. Lord, it's hard work. They're in hard places. And sometimes they don't always see the fruit of their labor immediately. But God, you are at work. Encourage, strengthen our missionaries. May they keep their eyes on you. May we keep our eyes upon you. May we be reminded this morning, God, of your love for us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, Steve and Barbara Smith are going to come and they're going to do our next candle, the candle of love.
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him would have everlasting life. Ephesians 2.4 tells us, But God, be, uh, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we are saved. 1 John 4, 9 tells us, In this love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live uh, through him. In this love, not that we... Uh, have loved, uh, loved God, but that God loved us uh, and his son through the perpetuation of our sins. C.S. Lewis wrote, he loved us not because we are lovable, but because he is love. Uh, the, though our feelings come and go, God's love does not. Charles Spurgeon writes, nothing binds me to my Lord like a strong belief in his changeless love. Let us pray. God is love. We thank you for the love that you have given to us. Your word says that we should be called children of God, so we are. We know the unchanging love of the, God, of the good and benevolent Father. We thank you that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray that we would keep ourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. So Lord, we just thank you for this season of Advent and, and all that you've given us and your, your son that you sent to the world and the birth that we're celebrating. We ask that you remind us of, of what you've given us that we may now give back to you and bless these offerings as we give sacrificially. We, we pray for this money that's been given for the Lottie Moon. We see how it's worked. We've heard the messages. We've heard how it's going to be used. We just pray for the mission that you're going to use these funds for to glorify your kingdom. In your name, amen.
Amen. Thank you, choir and Alexa. Well, you probably saw in the bulletin that there is no children's church this morning, and I can tell that because nobody's moving right now. So uh, it may get a, a little bit louder in here this morning, so that's all right. The sound of children laughing and moving around is a glorious thing. Amen. So you may have to try to focus a little bit more. I've tried to shorten my sermon by about five minutes if I keep to so 25 minutes just in case, but uh, we'll see how that goes. All right, First Peter chapter 2, First Peter chapter 2. Uh, we looked at the second part of verse 9 last week. We're going to look at the first part of, of verse 9 um, this morning. So Second Peter chapter 2, we'll read verses 9 and 10 just so you can see the context. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word? This is the word of the Lord. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You may be seated. John MacArthur tells the story of when he and a man by the name of Otis Chandler met for lunch. Otis Chandler was attending Grace Community Church. He was the publisher for the L.A. Times from 1960 to 1980. And in their conversation, Otis said to John, he said, John, you have a lot of influence. Lots of people listen to you. Why don't you give your opinions on all the issues of the world? I mean, being a publisher of the newspaper, you would be interested in people's opinions. John MacArthur responded, I appreciate your confidence in my opinion, but do you really think the world needs another guy's opinion? Otis responded, well, how do you see yourself then? What's your role? John MacArthur answered, very simply, very simple. I have been called to speak the opinion of God. I am here just to tell everybody what God says and to proclaim Him. Last week we saw that we are called to proclaim Him. Whether you are a pastor or not, you are called to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. This morning, in the first part of verse 9, we want to focus on what does God say? What is God's opinion? What does God say about who you are because of Jesus Christ. But before we do that, let's briefly look at Exodus chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. God has redeemed his people from Egypt. It says in the first couple verses that he actually brought them on eagle's wings to himself at Mount Sinai. He's about to give them the covenant. He's going to make a covenant with them and he claims them to be his people. They are to be distinct from all other peoples. And he says this in verse 5 and 6 of Exodus 19. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. God is going to keep his covenant with them. And he's telling Israel, you are to keep the covenant with me. If you obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, notice this, for all the earth is mine. The Lord's saying, it's all mine, but Israel, you'll be my treasured possession. And then we read this in verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. That should sound familiar to you because we just read it. This is the passage that Peter would have had in mind as he's writing these verses here in 1 Peter. God had made a covenant with Israel, but Israel disobeys. Israel forfeits their blessings. They're eventually taken into captivity into Babylon. But God promises that he will restore them. He promises to deliver them and says they will once again be his people. Now as we come to the New Testament... What we begin to realize is this, that the promise of restoration isn't just for the Jews, but it actually now includes the Gentiles. That God has a purpose for the church, his people. And that which was true of Israel in the Old Testament, kingdom of priests, holy nation, 
Peter now says is true of the church, which consists of both Jews and Gentiles who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Peter has already spoken very clearly about their salvation, about their being born again. Now in our verse, he speaks to our identity. Who are we? Who were they? Who is God writing to because of God's deliverance and salvation through Jesus? Notice what Peter says, but you. There's a contrast, a sharp contrast from verse 8 to verse 9. Those who disobey God in verse 8, those who reject God will experience His wrath, for they were destined to experience it. He says, but you. And what he's about to say to us is this. God has promised spiritual privileges and treasured possessions that now belong to you. That's amazing. God has promised spiritual privileges and treasured possessions that are now yours and mine through Jesus Christ. So as Christians, back in 1 Peter, who were scattered, living all over different places, who were experiencing increasing persecution and increasing hostility, they needed to see their new identity as the people of God. You and I, we are Christians, we are scattered, Christians all over the globe. We are increased. Many have already felt the persecution. We, I think, are experiencing an increase in persecution here in America. You and I must be reminded as to who we are. And it's all possible because God became flesh and dwelt among us. What you're about to read here is not possible if Christ does not come and die for us and ransom a people. So who does God say that you are if you know Christ? Listen to what he says. But you are a chosen race. A chosen race. Now the word for race refers to people descended from a common lineage. There is one human race. Everybody can trace their lineage eventually back to Adam. We all go back to Adam. In the Old Covenant, the, God's people, they would trace their lineage back to Abraham. They were a race that came from Abraham, God's chosen people. In Christ, there is a new race consisting of all those who have been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you have been born again, you are part of, Peter says, God's chosen race, God's lineage. And notice the word that Peter says. You're chosen. You're chosen. Brothers and sisters, this speaks to your security in Christ. Peter has already talked about the elect exiles. He's already talked about being chosen. And here he says, you are the chosen race. Listen, that means we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Nor are we worthy of God's choosing us. God has chosen. And if we're honest... This goes against everything in our sinful nature. Because think about your life. Go back to those days in the backyard when you played wiffle ball or flag football, or if you were really strong and brave and I was not, you would play tackle football. Go back to those days when you would have a team captain. I never liked being the team captain. Too much pressure. The team captain would pick teams. Now, everybody who was there would get chosen but some would get chosen last. What were they choosing based upon? More than likely, your ability. Some of you tried out for a basketball team in middle school or high school. Some of you went out for the cheerleading squad. Some of you know the joy of making a team. Some of you know the pain of being cut and not making a team. What was their choice based upon? How good you were. Could you dribble? Could you shoot? Could you throw a ball? Could you do all these little twirls and twists in the air, right? Could you do the flips? Could you do it? It was based upon your ability. Most of you in this room know what it's like to apply to a college. Some of you know the joys of getting into the college of your dreams. Some of you know the pain of a college rejecting you. What is that college more often than not? I don't think we can say always. More often than not, what are they basing it upon? Your grades, your smarts. The things that you did in high school, it's based upon you or consider your job. Maybe you applied for a job and you know the joy of getting the job or you know the pain of not getting the job or you were up for a promotion. What's all of that based upon? It's based upon you and your abilities. 
and how well you can do the job. Everything in life is based upon how good are you at doing that. Therefore, it's very easy for us to think that God's choosing us had something to do with us. Well, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I'm a pretty good husband. I'm a pretty good dad. I I go to church faithfully. It's all of these things that we do and we think God chooses us based upon our abilities. But hear me, God's choosing us had nothing to do with us or our abilities, which means God's keeping you has nothing to do with your works or your abilities. That is freeing, brothers and sisters in Christ. That this morning when you walk in here, you don't have to live in fear of, oh my goodness, did I sin too many times this week that God has decided to change his mind and now he's not going to save me. Could God possibly still love me because I blew it again this week? No, listen, God chose you based upon his love and he will keep you based upon his love and his covenant. That is, if you have come to his son, Jesus Christ, he challenges you, hey, you keep the covenant, you stay faithful, but God, if you have been saved, if you've been born again, he will be faithful to you. That is encouraging. Listen to Isaiah 49. I was reading this earlier this week in my quiet time. I love this verse, Isaiah 49, 15 through 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you, God says. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Like, I don't know how that works, but if you are in Christ this Christmas Eve, you need to understand Your name is engraved on the palm of God's hands. And then the New Testament version of that is, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Who are you? The world will say you are all sorts of things, but Peter says, In Christ, you are a chosen race. And then he continues, You are a royal priesthood. You go back to the Old Testament, you had the the Aaron and the Levitical priesthood, right? In in the Old Testament, you needed an intermediary. It was required between a holy God and a sinful Israel. Sinful Israel could just come into the presence of God whenever they wanted. You needed a, a mediary. You needed a priest. The priest and the high priest had access to God to offer up spiritual sacrifices. So you knew that this priest who was holy, and all of his garments were holy, he was made holy, that this priest would go into the presence of God, into the temple, right into the Holy of Holies, the high priest, and he would offer up sacrifices, representing you before God, so that your sins could be forgiven. But in Exodus, it actually talks about how they were all to be kingly priests. Yes, there was a priesthood, they had a specific job, but then what God's also saying is, listen, all of Israel, you are to be the mediator, if you will, between me and the nations. I'm your God, but my plan is to bless them too. I want all people to come to call me Yahweh, the one true God. So you go out into the world, and you represent me, and you share God with the people. Listen, Peter says, you and I in Christ are a royal priesthood. You know what that means? You no longer need a human priest. You don't have to come confess your sins to me. Praise God. I'm thankful for that. Now look, if you need to come, you come. I'll pray with you. I'll counsel you. But you don't have to come knocking on my door. Hey, I committed this sin. I need you to forgive me. No, you go straight to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. That means you have access to God. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about this priesthood. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, brothers and sisters, you have free access to God the Father right now through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the high priest in that he offered up the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice so that you could be forgiven of sins, so that God's wrath would be satisfied. But hear me, Jesus is also the high priest in that even right now, he's interceding on your behalf. That's who you are. 
that right now Jesus Christ knows exactly what you need. And he's interceding, pleading on behalf of you. You say, but I'm one of eight billion people in the world. Yes, and he knows you intimately. And he pleads for you. But Peter says we're a royal priesthood. We know God as our king to whom we now owe our ultimate allegiance. We serve in the presence of a king and we serve under the protection of a king. King Jesus is king and he's protecting his people. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Peter continues, a holy nation. A holy nation. The Greek word for nations is ethnos or ethnos. Simply means a people. It's talking about a people here. The word for holy means separate or set apart. Israel was to be a holy nation, a holy people, a people set apart. We know that, right, from the Old Testament. And we know for a period of time Israel kept it, but then they kept committing adultery and kept committing the sin of unbelief, and right, they forfeited the blessing. They were taken into captivity. But God promises, even then, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bring you back to the land. And now Peter says what was true of Israel is now true of the church, of those in Christ. You are a holy people. We are the people of God not based on ethnic identity, right? doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what your background is or where you came from. God doesn't look at that. We don't look at that as the church, right? It's not based upon your geographical boundary. This isn't just the church in Noonan. The church is much bigger than that. No, it is based upon your allegiance to King Jesus. Do you know Jesus? If you do, then you are part of a holy people. Listen, God has made a covenant with you. You need to understand this. Yes, he has saved you, but he has also set you apart. When you come to faith in Christ, God separates you. He separates you from sin. Sin no longer has to rule you. He separates you from Satan. You're no longer under the dominion of Satan. He separates you from the world and the things of the world, and he separates you unto himself. You are a people called by God to live like God, to live for God, to represent God, the priest, to represent God before a lost and dying world. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and then Peter writes this, a people for his own possession. Now, most of your translations uh, will translate that very similar, except for the King James Version. The King James Version uses an entirely different phrase. The King James Version says, you are a peculiar people. Most translations don't use that phrase today. That's interesting. A peculiar people sounds nothing like a people for his own possession. Well, that's because of the way we use the word peculiar today. If I were to ask you, don't shout out the answer, what does the word peculiar mean? You would probably give something similar to what my dictionary app lists. Number one, strange or odd. Some of you are married to some peculiar people. Uncommon or unusual. Distinctive in nature or character. So yes, in a sense, you as a Christian are set apart. You are distinct. You are unique. You are not to live like the world. But hear me, that's not what this Greek word means. So why in the world does the King James Version use the word peculiar? Because of definition number four and five, which means belonging exclusively to some person, group, or thing. That's not how we use the word peculiar today. Therefore, more modern translations don't use that word because we would misinterpret it. But an understanding for the word peculiar and why they would have used it in the King James is it means belonging exclusively to some person, group, or thing. That's the idea of the Greek word. It means possessions, property, to purchase. You have been bought with a price, ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, which means you are his possession. Somebody say amen. You belong to him. Hear me. You belong exclusively to him. You are his peculiar people. You are his special possession. Most of you in this room have been to a museum at some point. You go into museums, and a lot of those museums are just filled with 
ordinary items. Uh, consider um, the baseball Hall of Fame up in Cooperstown. I've never been there. I've been to the Louisville Slugger Museum in Louisville, Kentucky. It's Louisville, Kentucky. If anybody of you don't know how to pronounce that word, it's Louisville, Kentucky. And I've been to the Cincinnati Reds uh, Museum in Cincinnati. So you go into these museums, and they're filled with ordinary stuff. So, for example, you're walking through the Baseball Hall of Fame, and you'll come across a uniform that was worn by Hank Aaron. You say, what's the big deal? I mean, I coached Little League for years. Kids wear uniforms all the time. Except this uniform is the one he was wearing when he hit home run 715. You continue to walk through and you'll come across some batting gloves that belong to Ricky Henderson. My kids use batting gloves all the time. What's the big deal? Well, these were the ones that he was wearing when he stole his 939th base. You'll see an item like Cal Ripken's helmet. You can go to Academy and buy a helmet for like 40 bucks. Why am I coming and paying money for this helmet? Because this was the helmet he was wearing when he played his 2,130th straight game, breaking Lou Gehrig's record for consecutive games played. You see, the museum is filled with ordinary items, but they're there. Why? Because they belonged to someone famous who did something special while wearing them, right? And we pay money for those things. Listen, you're special not because you're special, but because you belong to God. You have value because of the one that created you and the one to whom you belong. He has taken you and he has made you his own. You have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's why James can write these words. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How in the world can we draw near to a holy God and he will draw near to us? It's because of who you are in Christ. Because of what Christ has done for you. That's why we can sing a hymn like this. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. So listen, this Christmas Eve, I just want to echo the words of Peter here. You need to know who you are. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to know who you are are listen we're living in a world that wants to define you with a thousand different categories like i think we're living in a world now that seeks to to further divide us there's this increasing teaching that's going on this theory called intersectionality uh, which basically is trying to break down who the oppressors are and who the most oppressed people are and so if you can get into all these different categories and the more category that you can claim like I'm a male, that's a strike for me, but if you're a female, that's good for you. Females have been oppressed. And you continue to add all of this, all of these categories, from oppressor and oppressed. Like the culture in which we live is trying to bombard you with this is who you are, this is who you should be. Let me tell you, there's really only two types of people in the world. It's really simple. Those who belong to Jesus and those who don't. That's it. This Christmas Eve, either you belong to Jesus, you have given your life to King Jesus, and therefore you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, or you don't know Jesus Christ, you are outside of his blessing, and you need to repent of your sins and believe upon the name of Jesus. It is that simple. We're really good at overcomplicating it, but it's that simple. Know who you are are not because you deserve it but because god became flesh and dwelt among us because because god lavished his grace and his mercy upon us know who you are and rest in that and then and then go and proclaim to a lost and dying world all that christ has done and who they can be if they would simply believe in Jesus Christ. Go and tell it on the mountain. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, I would imagine for many people in this room, this has been a, um, a busy week, a, a crazy week, a hectic week, maybe, maybe one of the hardest weeks of their life. And God, in this moment, 
We need just to be reminded of who we are in Christ. We need to be reminded, God, of what you've done for us, that you came for us, that all of this is possible. As we're going to talk briefly tonight, all of this is possible, God, because you came to us, because we were never, ever coming to you on our own. Our sin prevented that from happening. So, God, you came. You called your people, Israel. You've called your church. And, God, one day you're coming for us. So, Lord, may we keep our eyes on you. May we in our hearts know what you've done for us, and may we be willing to go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord, he's king, he's ruling and reigning, and that apart from Jesus we have no hope, no peace, no joy, no love, but in Christ we can have all of it. God, right now, right now we can have peace. God, I read this morning that peace is not the absence of trials, but it is the presence of Jesus Christ. God, fill our hearts, fill this place, the peace of Jesus Christ that passes all understanding. Help us to know that love and that joy, God, in our hearts, because this world is hard, and many are suffering, and there's a lot of pain. But in the midst of it, we can still proclaim the goodness of our God. And so as we sing these words, Father, stir within us a desire to know you and then to proclaim you, as Peter lays out for us in these two verses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's worship together. standing just two quick announcements one don't forget tonight at 6 p.m is our christmas eve service it's going to be a shorter service bring family bring kids we're not going to have any child care if you got family things to go after i think we'll be done probably by 6 30 but come and worship uh, with us secondly in the fellowship hall there are like three or four tables filled with christmas cards some of them have your names on it so if you have not picked up christmas cards in several weeks just stop in the fellowship hall Pick them up quickly, read them over lunch, and we pray if we don't see you tonight that you have a Merry Christmas. Pastor Gary's going to come and dismiss us by reading from Matthew 
28. All right, Northside, let's say this together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See you tonight.